Well, this morning we're in Romans chapter 4. We're continuing in Romans 4. Listen to the title that I've chosen. It's God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. That's the title. And you're going to see why I'm using that title this morning because that's actually part of the passage that we're studying. If you remember when we started Romans, Paul said in the first chapter, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone, for everyone who believes. And that's the theme, that gospel power and the gospel message is a theme throughout the book of Romans. And and listen, we're in chapter 4 now, and Paul has done an amazing job establishing that Father Abraham, a key figure in Judaism, of course, a key figure in Christianity and Islam as well, Abraham was made righteous by faith before his good works. And so we're kind of picking up on that theme as well. Have you ever wanted to be a part of a family? Think about it, a, a large family. Have you ever wanted to be a part of a, like a, a large cultural family with all the celebrations and the special foods that they have? And I, I, I think a lot of people desire something like that. And then others that are part of enormous families like that Uh, think just the opposite. A lot of times they want to be a part of uh, a small family or be in isolation. But I I want you to know something. This connection that Paul makes with Abraham, I'm going to go to the end of the message just to give you kind of a splash of what's going on. He describes this father Abraham who we've all are partakers of this family. And I'm going to explain what that means in a minute. But we're going to start with verse 5. In Romans chapter 4, here we go. It says, But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. That's an amazing statement connected to Abraham. People are counted righteous, not because of their work. You see, Jews looked up to Abraham, Father Abraham. He was a righteous individual, a hero to Judaism because of his good works. He did good works. But it was his faith that made him righteous. And that's what Paul says here. But he adds faith in the God who forgives sinners. So it's not works that that make you and I acceptable to God. I want you to understand something that, that I believe is so important. God cannot allow sin into heaven. And, and so we've got a sin problem. And we've got a big problem to deal with. So how can we who are sinners, well, we're all sinners, The Bible says that we are. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that you are. So how can God allow us into heaven? Well, he remedied that, and Paul discusses that. Now, let me give you some insight about where we're going with this. It's not works that make us acceptable to God. God sent his son Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. Just in a matter of weeks, we're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus dies on the cross. The third day he rises from the grave and because of the work that jesus did on the cross the sacrifice the atonement that he did on the cross we have forgiveness of sin so that remedied the problem of our sin nature let me go on so you have a better understanding we've learned so far about abraham that the age of 75 god spoke to abraham and asked abraham at that time his name was abram to leave his homeland, and God gave him a promise. Abram believed God, trusted God, and he moved to a foreign land. 
Abraham believed and trusted God that he would be the father of many nations. God told him, you're going to be the father of many nations. Now, he's 90, excuse me, he's 75 years old. Can you imagine God speaking to you and telling you you're going to have children? You're 75 years old. That's an amazing thing. Well, Abraham and Sarah, in their old age, they do have a child. God's promise is fulfilled. Uh, their son is Isaac. Uh, Isaac grows up, has sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob grows up. In, in chapter 32 of Genesis, uh, Jacob becomes Israel. He wrestles with God. And so now we have the nation of Israel. And, and Jacob has 12 sons. And from those 12 sons, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. I just gave you a real Reader's Digest version of some history that's taken place. The law of Moses did not, the, the, the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, did not exist for at least 430 years after Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that. So when uh, the Jewish leaders who were debating with Paul said, well, Abraham was justified by his works, the law and the works that you need to do to follow through with the law, that didn't exist for 433 years after. And also, the Jews had this religious ritual called circumcision. And certainly, Abraham was justified by his works of that particular religious ordinance. It was a custom of the Jews, even up to this day, this present day. But unfortunately for the Jews, listen to this, who attempted to debate Paul, the custom of circumcision uh, didn't take place for another 24 years after Abraham trusted God. So his trust, his belief, his faith in God was 24 years before he was circumcised. And listen to this, Abraham was 99 years old when the practice of circumcision uh, began, took place. And so now we come to verses 6 and 8, and we see another Old Testament hero that Paul brings to the scene in this debate with legalism in Judaizers. Listen to this in Romans chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. David also spoke of this, Paul says, when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. That's a beautiful passage because it talks about God's mercy and grace that's new every morning. And here Paul is referring to David's blessedness having his sins uh, that he committed forgiven. His sins against Bathsheba and his sin against Uriah, her husband. And this was undeserved righteousness bestowed upon David, and it's described in Psalm 32, a psalm that David wrote. So Paul turned uh, to this psalm for a number of reasons. Remember, Paul, he's an intellect. He knew how to debate. Uh, he was like a modern-day PhD in theological studies. And, 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 and in addition, he was a master at communication. And so he, pulled, he turns to Psalm 32, and he's using a rabbinical uh, principle of interpretation that the rabbis would certainly understand in dialogue and debate. And when a word is used the same time in two biblical passage, each one of those can be used to interpret the other. And so we have the word 
credited and the word count. The word credited is used in Genesis 15. The word count is used in Psalm 32. And so Paul is using this rabbinical principle to communicate a truth that God has given to us in his word. And the reason David had unmerited righteousness credited to him is because of his faith. According to Psalm 32, David had faith that God could forgive him of his sin. Listen, David broke three of the commandments. He coveted Bathsheba. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband Uriah. And the Old Testament sacrificial system made no provision for any of those premeditated sins. And so, listen, from a technical aspect, David was hopeless. There's, there was nothing he could do but cast himself on God's mercy. Paul knew that. Paul used this as an il illustrative uh, point. And if we were to examine more thoroughly Psalm 32, you'd find that David was acquitted on the grounds of acknowledging his guilt and having faith in the mercy of God. David was acquitted. He was forgiven because he confessed his sin and then he leaned on the mercy and forgiveness of the Lord. And this leads me to a truth that Paul clearly declares in Romans chapter 4, and it's this. Number one, God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. The law said, I will, justify, uh, I will not justify the wicked in Exodus 23. In the Old Testament, judge was commanded to justify the righteous but condemn the wicked in Deuteronomy 25. And then Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he asked God to condemn the wicked and justify the righteous in 1 Kings 8. But here, today in Romans chapter 4, God justifies the ungodly. That's why my title is God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. God justifies the ungodly. And so Dave, David, King David made two statements. Uh, God forgives sins and imputes, or let me say it this way, he assigns righteousness apart from works. David didn't have to do a litany of good works to have favor from God. Uh, God does not impute or charge us for our sins. In other words, once you're justified, our record contains Christ's perfect righteousness and can never again contain our sins. Did you hear that? This is huge. Listen to this. Once we are justified, and that justification comes through faith in Christ, our record contains Christ's perfect righteousness and can never again contain our sins. Listen, Christians do sin, and these sins need to be forgiven if we're to have, a fe have fellowship with God, according to 1 John 1.5. But these sins are not held against us. I, I can't think of any better news than that. God does not keep a record of our sins. He keeps a record of our works, and He does that so that He, he would reward us when Jesus comes back, but He's not keeping a record of our sins. Now listen, I know we're online but I think I hear an amen. God doesn't keep a record of our sins. That's amazing. That's beautiful. That's glorious. And that's worthy of saying hallelujah. 
And because of this wonderful news, listen to this, Paul calls David blessed. And David calls himself blessed twice in Psalm 32. And because of the atonement of his sins, he was forgiven on, listen to this, sola fide. Can you say that? Sola fide. That, that's the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So the principle of faith alone is demonstrated in this illustration that Paul brings right after his uh, illustration of Abraham. He brings to the scene King David. And I think it's a beautiful point in Psalm 32 that David repented of his sins. God forgave him. Number two this morning, our only hope is righteousness from God. That's our only hope. Righteousness from God. Our hope doesn't come through politics. Our hope doesn't come through policies. Our only hope, listen to this, is righteousness from God. Nothing you and I can ever do can atone for our sins. Our only hope is righteousness from God apart from the law. And here's the big takeaway. You ready? Righteousness from God comes through Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Righteousness from God comes through Christ Jesus to all who believe. Now, here's what I want to do. We're in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to back up to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Listen to this. This is powerful. Romans 3, verse 21 and 22. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith Listen to this, in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So that truth is for everyone. The gospel's for everyone. For God so loves the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's God's will that nobody perish. But He's not going to force His love on anyone. You have to choose who you're going to serve this morning. I want to transition now and, and let you know that David, Abraham, they were justified by grace, not the law. As, as we've seen, the Jews gloried in circumcision and the law. Jews practiced circumcision to obey the law. It was one and the same. And Paul had already made it clear in Romans chapter 2 that there must be an inward obedience to the law and inward uh, paul called it a circumcision of the heart it, it, it's not just an outward act a lot of people say and even do the right things but has there been an inward change that's what paul's talking about now in romans chapter 4 verse 9 i'm going to pick up it says now is this blessing only for the jews talking about acceptance to god or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have uh, been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. So again, Paul's reasoning with uh, those who are legalistic. And he goes on to say in verse 11, circumcision was a sign 
that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So why was circumcision given in the first place, you might be asking? Well, it's a sign and it's a seal. It's a, as a sign, according to Romans uh, 4.11, it was evidence that, that he belonged to God and believed his promise. And it was a seal. So it's a sign and a seal. And it was a seal as a reminder to him that God had given him the promise and that, that he would keep that promise. So here's the parallel for us today as believers. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, talking about Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, there's that word sealed, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so, as believers, this is how this applies to us. When Christ is in your heart and you're saved, you have Jesus in your heart, He's your Lord and Savior, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, Colossians 2.11 says this. This is another parallel for believers today, followers of Christ. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Did you know that? When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but <laughs> there, there was no surgery physically. It wasn't a physical procedure. Christ performed, performed spiritual, a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So it's a spiritual dimension, a spiritual aspect that's taken place in your life. And so here's the point. Circumcision did not add to Abraham's salvation. It merely attested to it. It was a testimony of God's promise and provision. Now I want to continue in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. It says, clearly, Paul says, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. Now, if we think back to Genesis and we look at Genesis 12 and on through uh, Genesis chapter 15 where God is communicating to Abraham and he takes him outside and they look up. He says, look up into the starry sky. It's at night and the sky is filled with stars. And he says, you see all those stars, Abraham? That is a picture of my promise of the nation that's going to come from you. Abraham's an old man. He's 75 years old at that time. And this promise probably technically or, or logically, it doesn't make any sense. I, I'm an old man, God. But you know, Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He trusted what God said. And the Scriptures tell us that was accounted to Abraham as righteousness because he believed. He had faith in God. And we know now that uh, uh, this 
multitude of peoples came from Abraham. God's promise came true. I'll talk a little bit more about that in detail in a moment. Pick up in verse 15 of Romans 4. It says, for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. And verse 17, listen to this. That is what the Scriptures mean when God told him, I made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed that God, now tell me if this sounds familiar, I'm at the tail end of verse 17, Romans 4, the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. This is God. This is the title of the message this morning. The God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. You see, if you're Jewish, you have Jewish blood in your veins, then Abraham is your father physically. If you're a believer unto the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, then you are as well uh, the family of Abraham. You've been grafted in, spiritually speaking. And that's what Paul is saying. It's an act of faith. And so we can all say that Abraham is our spiritual father. He's who God spoke to. He, the, the nation of Israel was birthed. God's chosen people were birthed from that seed of Abraham. Uh, Jesus came from that. Listen, we have a wonderful heritage and inheritance because of the things I'm sharing with you this morning. The fact that Abraham was justified by grace and not the law proves that salvation is for, for everyone. It's available to everyone. And Abraham's the father of all believers, both Jews and non-Jews alike. And so that's our connection with Abraham. The God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. I think some of you, maybe many of you, are feeling like, Oh my gosh, are we ever going to get back to normal? Is the world ever going to be normal again? Whatever normal is. And maybe you're, you're disillusioned and you don't believe anything or half of what you see anymore. And yet, God is the God who brings the dead back to life and He creates new things out of nothing. Maybe today is a day that all of us must go before the Lord and say, God, do a new thing in me. Give me a new passion. Give me a new motivation. Lord, uh, spring up a well within me to desire to serve You and grow close to You and fall in love with You, Jesus. Maybe today's the day that we say, I want to be actively involved in the family of God. Maybe that's something that you're willing to do recognizing that Christ is the answer to the world's problems right now. Would you bow your head, if you can, and say this prayer with me. Would you invite Jesus Christ into your heart? Would you rededicate your life to the Lord? Would you renew a relationship 
a deeper relationship? Would you go to the next level spiritually and be a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you do that right now? Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. And I now ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I rededicate my life to you. God, I ask for you to give me passion, compassion, and your purpose. Help me tap into that and serve you, actively serve you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, if you prayed that prayer, if you gave your heart to Christ for the first time, or you rededicated your life to the Lord, or you made a commitment to walk deeper with the Lord, I want to congratulate you for doing that. Would you text the word pray right now, if you're able to do that? Text the word pray to the number you see on your screen. That way you and I can connect, and I want to encourage you in your spiritual growth. Listen, don't go anywhere. We're going to continue to worship the Lord. Thanks for joining us. And God bless you.